Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 238, Cejudo versus Morais and Shaq. It's going down this Saturday in Chi-Town, the Windy City, Chicago, Illinois. The best flyweight versus the best bantamweight meeting for the 135-pound strap. And uh, someone might be going to sleep Saturday night, Shaq. Yeah, 100%, man. We're talking about it. The Olympic champion, the uh, fly- UFC flyweight champion, the guy that beat Demetrius Johnson and TJ Dillashaw versus Magic Marlin, who's out here stopping guys in the first round and last three fights. So it's going to be a great fight. You know, we got the, in my opinion, even though Cejudo hasn't fought at Bantamweight uh, in a long time, the top two guys in Bantamweight. So, uh, and did you mention he's a gold medalist Olympian? Yeah, and by the way, he uh, does have a gold medal in the Olympics at the age of 21. <laughs> yeah, man, what, what's so great about this card is that, you know, the real co-main event between Tony Ferguson and Cowboy Cerrone, I mean, that's a fight right there where it could be for a title, it could be for a number one contendership, it could just be for the all-violence fight of the year, but uh, we get to see... Tony Elkukui Ferguson on the historical win streak take on dad Cowboy Cerrone who's always had you know he's got the most finishes in UFC history the most wins the most bonuses and now he's trying to make that title run Cerrone man props to him man uh he's been taking out these young guys seems like he feel he feels invincible right now man and you know that's kind of scary for for a guy his age with that much experience and we know what Ferguson brings to the table he's just gonna walk forward until he breaks you and uh those always make for some of the best fights in UFC history so uh, I expect nothing short of that. 100%. Well, let's get down to business, man, because it's one hell of a card. And first off, in the flyweight division, we got Caitlin Chukagan. She's 11-2 and two, versus Joanne Calderwood, who's 13-3. and three. Currently, they got this fight to pick them. Slight lean on Caitlin Chukagan at minus 115. Joanne Calderwood is minus 105. So, Shaq, I got to know, man, are you buying the Joanne Calderwood, the JoJo 2.0 stuff, or are you thinking that Caitlin Chukagan is going to airstrike to a decision here? You know, I feel like Chukagan's definitely a step up from Calderwood's last two opponents, Lipsky and uh, the other fraud. What's her name? Faria. You know, Lipsky was making her UFC debut. If you watch some of her prior fights before that, uh, she just hits girls and they fall down. We know that when you come to the UFC, that's not going to be that's not going to be the case here. And uh, she got exposed, and she got exposed hard. Props to Calderwood for coming through as a very big underdog. Um, but I feel like Chukagan's a completely different level, although Chukagan's not dangerous, but you gotta understand that footwork presents a lot of troubles for girls, and, you know, I feel like this fight could kind of be similar to Calderwood versus Calvillo, you know, in that fight, you had Calvillo who was doing most of the backing up, you had Calderwood who was moving forward the entire time, Calderwood, she's got that reputation as a Muay Thai striker, and she's definitely a Muay Thai striker, but more of a kicker, man, she leaves her chin up in the air a lot, so does Chukagan a little bit, but where I feel like they, uh, are separated at is the cardio, you know, I feel like although Calderwood's been doing her thing, she's been in there with Lipsky, who was tired in the first 30 seconds. As where Chukagan's a cardio monster, man. She's going to be circling around circling around that octagon the entire time. I feel like it's going to force uh, Calderwood. I mean, she, you're already hearing some of her interviews. She's already saying all Caitlin does is run away the entire time. And, you know, in my experience, I just know that it's not a good thing when they're already saying that uh, before the fight. That means she wants Chukagan to stand right in front of her, and that's not going to be the case here. So I think Chukagan's going to squeak out a decision here, 29-28, maybe even 30-27 on one card. Get back to her her Chuk type of performances, man. So uh, I like Chuk with the cardio edge and the volume. Look, after this fight, we're going to say JoJo got Chuk. Do you know what I mean? Uh, look, she, she has a great relationship with her coach, and she's been doing her thing, but Caitlin Chukagan has that hit and run that 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 hit the air and make tennis sounds style down to a T the Mark Henry game plan and Joanne's already talking about how 
you know, how she's not feeling as motivated for this fight because she doesn't have someone that's going to come there to stand and bang with her in the center of the octagon. So, you know, Joanne wears her heart on her sleeve, man. I think Caitlyn's going to come out here, punch the air really hard, and uh, win this decision. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got the former WEC Bantamweight champion, Eddie Wineland. He's 23-13. and 13, And the new guy, Gregory Popov, is 14-2. and two. Well, Shaq, normally when you see a Russian with OV as the last two letters of his last name, taking on Eddie Wineland, and he's an underdog, normally I'm champing at the bit. But then I looked into Gregory Popov, and yeah, he is training at Tiger Muay Thai. Uh, do you think the 36-year-old has what it takes to come out here and uh, defeat Eddie Wineland? Just the vibe I get from this type of fight is, you know, I feel like Eddie's 34. I think he was the first WEC champion, if I'm not mistaken, either him or uh, my boy Benuelos. But uh, my opinion, I feel like in this particular fight, they're trying to get Eddie a win here. You know, I feel like he's 34, 35 years old. He's been talking. He's got two. He's had two broken jaws. He's talked about retirement for a while. He's got a whole different thing going on, you know, on the outside. He's a firefighter. You know, he's got different businesses, man. So personally, I feel like they're trying to get Eddie a win here. I think they're trying to bring in this 30. 36 year old yeah he's got the off but i feel like that's just for uh just to intrigue the fans you know eddie wineland versus a, a russian you know so i feel like they're trying to get a win i think popov he's fought absolutely nobody like you said he's 36 years old he's older than eddie you know probably definitely a little fresher but eddie man he's still sh going out here although yeah he's on the decline he's still able to go to a close enough decision with alejandro he can go three rounds with john dodson as if you put this guy popov in there against those guys and it's gonna get really embarrassing so yeah they're definitely trying to get eddie a win here i mean look the guy goes from fighting nothing but ranked guys to all of a sudden he's fighting a newcomer you know they told eddie to bring the kids front row they got you a smelly outcome now come knock this fraud out and retire on a win isn't uh chicago where he fought brian Caraway as well yeah and he, and he lost and uh, we cashed a plus money <laughs> bet there the thing here is that so they told me a russian was fighting wineland they told me the russian was dog money already i was very intrigued but then when it came time to actually check out the russian I mean, he's got decent Muay Thai, but it's very just meat and potatoes, classic uh, Thai striking. I mean, I'm sure Eddie Wineland's seen leg kicks before, but I got to say this, man. The last time he fought one of these traditional Thai guys, you remember what Johnny Eduardo did to him. But I'm just going to say Gregory Popov is not on the level that Johnny Eduardo was on back then. So it just seems like... You know, one two low kick, one two three low kick, one two outside, right? So in addition to the low kicks, uh, look out for his gogo plata. He's actually won more than one fight via gogo plata. That's not something you see every day. So if uh someone gets submission of the night with an OV next to their name on Saturday, it's gonna be Gregory Popov. But the fight has to hit the mat, and he has to be on his back for that to happen. As long as Eddie Wineland still has the movement that he's known for, as long as his chin isn't too high in the air, as long as he doesn't make some stupid mistake, I think Eddie Wineland's going to get to retire on a win here in the Windy City. So I'm going to go with Eddie Wineland as well. Now next up in the middleweight division, we got the return of Bevon Lewis. He's 6-1, and one, and Darren the Dentist Stewart is 9-4. and four. Currently, they got Bevon Lewis minus 170. The comeback on Darren Stewart is plus 150. Well, Shaq, uh, one thing that's really interesting about this fight is Bevon Lewis was dominating his UFC debut against Uriah Hall until he got caught with a knockout blow. And Darren Stewart's last two wins, he was getting dominated until he landed the knockout blow. So now my question is, do you think Darren Stewart has what it takes to get an opportunistic finish here, or is Bevon going to roll? Yeah, this is a good fight. I feel like it's a, it's a fairly good bounce-back fight for Bevon. You know, uh, he got that Uriah Hall opportunity because of the potential that he showed 
on the contender series, man. He went out there, got a, a win on the first season, went to the local scene, came back the second season and won again, got a finish over uh, Alton Cunningham, and then, you know, he, the, and he gets the Uriah Hall fight. And, and uh, in hindsight, that's a big task, man, for a guy with five or six fights. Behind the scenes info, man, him and Hall, you know, while he was taking those trips out to the contender series uh, in Vegas, man, him and Hall became, you know, pretty good friends with each other, and he, and he had to fight him for his debut. So, you know, that was a, a rough spot for Bavon. That's not a probably not the best spot to uh, to uh, bet him at, especially against a guy who's knocked out Musashi, Jocko, one of the best flu KO artists in the sports history. So now he gets to bounce back with Stewart. You know, Stewart is a guy who I feel like, yeah, he's gotten a little better, but I feel like it's more due to just experience, nothing really technically, nothing fight IQ-wise, because when you really think about it he uh, gets that went over Bohozo, which they took back and then he gets a rematch against Bohozo and completely gasses out and you know he had that stretch where it seemed like he was just running himself into the ground real quick he tries to take down Roberson Roberson chokes him out first round him and Marquez have that really sloppy ugly where he falls over head first and gets choked out with the guillotine then he bounces back with the winner against Spicely you know Spicy won that first round, in my opinion, and, you know, he caught him with the shot, you know, so we know his best, his best attribute is power. He comes back against Charles Bird. Seems like Bird was winning that entire fight, but Bird's a grappler, man. He he uh, he doesn't know how to stay composed on the feet, and uh, he just keeps shooting takedowns that he can't get, and uh, he's very small for 185, and, you know, I don't want to take the the win away from Stewart because he was a big underdog in that fight. I actually picked him to beat Charles Bird. There isn't as much improvement as people think. Then you see him fight against uh, Shabazian. And you know, Shabazian actually uses, a, generally knocks his guys out in less than a minute. But in this particular fight, he chose to wrestle Stewart. And I mean, anytime he committed to the takedown, even after Stewart hurt him with that elbow in the third round, Stewart gets taken back down again after that. So although Stewart's ex his experience level has definitely gained, I feel like he's still, ma he's still making bad fight IQ mistakes. I feel like like his cardio still isn't up to par to the level that it needs to be. And I feel like the guys that have beaten and finished Stewart kind of match up with Bavon on the talent level. The guys that have beaten him were really early in their careers, like Marquez, like uh, Roberson. They probably all had less than 10 fights. Shabazian. So I feel like Bavon's going to roll here. He's going to fight much smarter. I feel like, uh, <laughs> you know, Uriah Hall is a guy that you make one little mistake against and you could be sleep. I don't think that's the case here. Of course, he's got to watch out for his power, but I feel like that's the only way Stewart can win that window is going to be dwindled down after how tired he is from the tie-ups i feel like bavon's going to come out here wrestle stewart and you know just fight smart fight safe and, and get his first ufc win this is going to be very exciting while it lasts obviously bavon lewis he looked really good in that ufc debut until he got caught but man he put the pace on uriah hall he was landing big shots just that output that volume and it seemed like a lot of those shots uh listen uriah hall is a very durable guy you guys remember that whooping he took against uh, robert whitaker for three straight rounds even against Boracina, it took forever for him to drop. So Uriah Hall is a guy that, that can take it, man. And and he's known for taking that ass-whooping up front and then delivering the KO blow. Just ask Gegard Mousasi. Just ask Christoph Jocko. It happened to Bavon Lewis as well. But you know what? He's taking the proper amount of time off. It's been over six months, and now he feels like he's in a good spot to go out there and have a good showcase fight against Darren Stewart. Look, what Darren Stewart brings to the table is the guy hits extremely hard, but that's about it. He's not going to push a pace from the start. He's not going to mix in takedowns. He's not going to pick you apart. It's basically you have to fuck up, and this guy has to catch you. And one big weapon that Darren Stewart brings to the table, he's got a beautiful elbow from the clinch. And I know Bavon's going to try to tie him up, so Bavon has to be very careful for that massive elbow because, I mean, Charles Bird 
was wo- was wobbling all over the place with that elbow. Edmund Shabazian was all over the place with that elbow. So as long as Bayvon looks out for that elbow from the clinch, because I know he's going to try to tie Darren up, then he should win this fight handedly. Darren can only win this fight via KO. Bayvon can win via KO, submission, or decision. So for that reason, I'm going to go with Bayvon Lewis, and I'm going to go as far as saying that he should be a, a bigger favorite in this spot. So I'm going to go with Bayvon Lewis. A decision won't surprise me, but official pick inside the distance. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got Yan Zonan. She's 10-1, and one, and Angela Hill is 9-6. and six. Currently, they got Yan Zonan, minus 155. The comeback on Angela Hill is plus 135. Well, Shaq, uh, I know they remember when we cashed that max bet on Yan Zonan in her UFC debut. Now, people might be like, oh, it's Kyle and Curran, no big deal. Well, y'all weren't saying it then when we got those minus 135 odds. Next fight against Vivian Pereira, cashed that plus 170. Next fight against Siri Kondo, had to parlay uh, the big odds uh, with my girl Wiley Zhang. Now the question is here, in her first real step up against an established UFC fighter in Angela Hill, is she going to make it 4-0 or is it first L time? This is going to be a good fight. Hill's a case of, uh, you know, in the past people, it seems like that, uh, that's that been the case these last few days as a lot of action's been coming in her way. It feels like people are still holding on to that Angela Hill potential. Yeah, I mean, she's been in there with some of the best of the best in comparison to Yan Zanan, who I guess you can say really hasn't fought anybody, but I feel like this is a, a logical step up in competition with Angela Hill, you know, who's under 500 in the UFC and uh, is on a, a little of a decline ever since that Nina Androff fight. Going into the Androff fight, she's a big favorite and Androff was able to just out-volume her. Uh, you know, Hill, I feel like she uses a style with a lot of movement. At first, it seems like she could she could keep it up in her younger days but it, it seems like over the last maybe three fights that she's kind of doing herself a disservice man it feels like she's pretty much uh in quicksand because with that movement style it's probably been put on her by you know del fiero and cruz and those guys giving her all that footwork but you got to have the cardio to keep it up and one thing i'm noticing is she's coming out with these where she's winning these first rounds and then she needs a break in that second round and her firepower definitely uh dies down a little bit in those second and third rounds just like the Andra fight where she won the first round and lost the last two the Courtney Casey fight kind of a similar thing and she's losing decisions to Courtney Casey you know <laughs> when you lose decisions to Courtney Casey what, what's Courtney Casey's record all time when fights go to decision terrible like two and six or two and seven one and seven some shit <laughs> but uh you know uh she's losing decisions to Courtney Casey because she's a striker and she likes to you know go toe-to-toe and she likes to stand in front but when you don't have the cardio to, to maintain the speed that uh you were operating with in the first round then you give these you know stuck in the mud fighters like Courtney Casey an opportunity to beat you and personally i just feel like yan's on it's on a completely different level of course she doesn't have it she doesn't have the top 15 experience like those girls have but uh i the talent is probably better than those girls you know i feel like yan showed many different facets to her striking game the first fight against current i mean she almost knocks her out in the first round the sidekick to the head what name name chicks you see out here doing shit like that you know and then the second fight she completely switches it up she's fighting a big power puncher and uh viviani with a bunch of muscles and then she switches it up, she uses her jab, she loses her low kicks, makes her sounds, and she won us a decision. And then her third fight, you know, that was, uh, gotta evaluate the spots that each fighter is in going into these fights, and 
going into the condo fight i mean you know like yeah was it was it a little sloppier than the than the first two yeah but you can kind of expect that sometimes man because there's a lot of pressure she can't lose to this girl and let's not act like the fight was close at all I mean, let's not act like <laughs> condo had any success in condo that fight almost whatsoever. got knocked out right away like in the first 30 seconds she almost got knocked out i mean those straights were landing at will and it was a good dominant performance hill is gonna come out here in the first round she's gonna come hard with that pace but i feel like at some point in that first round yen's gonna hit her with a right hand that's gonna make her see stars and i feel like hill is a little chinny man that Andrew fight showed it i feel like that courtney casey fight showed it that random marcos fight showed it that jody escabel fight showed it so uh i feel like yan's gonna get a couple wobbles in this fight hill does have a good volume but yan's got a higher volume and uh you want to stand toe-to-toe with toe with yan by all means let's let's bang and, uh, you know, if Hill wants to utilize this wrestling that she has, she's been utilizing it a, a, a little bit in her fights. But I don't think she's good enough to hold someone down. And shown that she can get up. She's uh, faced girls that put a press, uh, put a pace on her like Curran, even though Curran's a, you know, I've shit on Curran badly in the past. But one thing I'll say is Curran pu- pushed a hell of a pace in that fight. You know, Curran used her Hawaiian spirit, and she uh, fought her, how to, her heart out in her last UFC fight, man. Props to her. She went on to win two fights. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, she, she fought her heart out, man. But uh, I think Yan Zanan gets this win. You're going to see a, a possible knockdown in this fight. You know, you're definitely going to see a chicken dance or two. Yan's going to get this 30-27 win. Yeah, look, much respect to Angela Hill for taking three fights back to back to back. You know what I mean? And she fought that... That one in Nashville against Randa Marcos got stopped in the first round, turns around two weeks later, takes on Jody Escabel, and we were all expecting a more dominant performance, at least I was, against Jody, because, you know, after that stunt Jody pulled against Jessica Aguilar, we realized that she might literally be, uh, you know, when you rank, uh, when you put the rankings 1 to 99, she might literally be the 99th ranked fighter, you know what I'm saying, Shaq, and uh, did Jody Escabel low-key win around in that fight, Shaq? Did Jody Escobar Loki win around against <laughs> Angela Hill? That, that that's all I want to know. But uh, look, as far as this matchup is concerned, look, they're both good strikers for this weight class's standards. Angela Hill has good technique, but Yan Zonan has great technique. Angela Hill has decent output. Yan Zonan has great output. Angela Hill, I mean, I don't want to say she hits kind of hard because she doesn't, but uh, Yan Zonan sidekicks girls in the face, and Yan Zonan's game is much cleaner, much more sharp, and much more efficient than Angela Hills, and that's what's going to win her the decision here. She she can make sounds and have a grunt-and-run game like Holly Holm. She can get in your face, be aggressive, throw sidekicks to the face. Her punches down the middle are fast, accurate, sharp. I like uh, Yan Zona in here. I think she makes it 4-0 and and moves up, hopefully, to that top 15. I'm going Yan Zona. Next up in the featherweight division, we got Ricardo the Bully Lamas. He's 19-7, and and Calvin Cater is 19-3. and Currently, they got Calvin Cater minus 150. The comeback on Ricardo Lamas is plus 130. Shaq, you remember what happened last time Ricardo Lamas fought at home in Chicago? Young prospect uh, Mirsad Bektik went out there and got the win. Now, Calvin Cater isn't necessarily a young prospect, but he's definitely emerging as far as uh, the UFC featherweights are concerned. Do you think this is the spot where Calvin Cater finally gets ranked in the top 10? We know what Lamas brings to the table. We've been watching him fight for a long time. He's a good wrestler. He's got good low kicks he's got a good guillotine uh, and he's experienced you know uh but i feel like father times caught up with him 100 percent. i mean since the josh emmett knockout then he lost to mirsad by a close decision and low-key honestly been a much easier fight for mirsad bektik if he wasn't so hell-bent on wrestling so much he probably could have knocked by myself but i don't know what that kid's deal is uh <laughs> and then he fought elkins who 
Look, all due respect to Darren Elkins, you know, he's got some of the best comeback wins in the sport, but Father Time's also caught up with him. He he simply can't take that damage anymore. When you fight when you fight like that, eventually it catches up to you and then you're gonna start seeing it catch up to Darren Elkins and Lamas, uh that was always been a Taylor Main matchup for Lamas. I I've always felt like he would uh win that fight if those two ever fought and they fought him. You know, that's what happened. And uh, in the lead up to that KO, you could just see, you know, both guys are past their primes. This is just, uh, you know, a mini legend fight, you know, Lamas and Elkins. And, you know, Lamas did his thing, but now it's going to be back to reality. Now he's facing a young up-and-comer. Now it's a uh, person I just feel like Calvin's too long. Yeah, he did get uh, broken down with the calf kicks against Moicano, and I see a lot of uh, people bringing that up. But you got to understand, Moicano threatened Calvin with his hands. You need to threaten him with his hand, with your hands, to get him to uh, to react to those calf kicks. And Lamas, in my opinion, simply can't do that. Lamas, the the boxing has always been one of his weaknesses. Calvin's much more advanced in that department. I feel like Calvin's gonna come out here, use his range, throw that one, then eventually throw the two behind it, and uh, eventually it could possibly four Lamas. But if if Lamas wants to be tough and hang in there for three rounds in his hometown, by all means, we can do that. I feel like. The only way Lamas could possibly win this fight is by, you know, guillotine. He, he, he did chap, uh, tap Charles with that guillotine, which is a big accomplishment. But I feel like Calvin's too disciplined. I feel like they're going to come in with a strict game plan of boxing, slipping and ripping, and slipping and ripping Lamas' head off, you know. So uh, I feel like Calvin's going to get his, a finish win here. He's the younger, fresher, hungrier guy. I feel like Lamas is, a, Lamas is great, man, you know, but it's just not his time. It's Calvin's time, and Calvin will be in that top 10. Look, I got a lot of respect for Ricardo Lamas. I mean, this guy's been a perennial top 10 guy for forever, man, ever since back in the WEC. So he's been doing his thing. I got to respect him. Very well-rounded guy, good everywhere. Kicks, the wrestling, the guillotine. Just everything. Much respect to Ricardo Lamas. But you guys have listened to Half the Battle before, and you've heard me say the exact words that back when back when Calvin Cater was unranked, you guys heard me say, if Calvin Cater fought Cub Swanson and Ricardo Lamas today, he would smoke those guys. Well, now he's fighting Ricardo Lamas, so now, now it's time to back up my words. Now, now it's time to see... Uh, if that's really true or not. Like, let's see if Calvin Cater is really as good as I say he is because even when he was fighting Feely, I was like, this guy is no slouch. Do not count this guy out. And I've been picking him every, fi every fight ever since. Uh, look, I think something about the Moicano fight, it wasn't just the fact that, you know, he was setting up the kicks with the hands. That's a huge part, obviously. But what about the length of Moicano? What about the fact that Moicano is an almost six-foot-tall featherweight that represents the new generation of the 145-pound division? I mean, much respect to Lamas, but if Lamas uh, was 10 years younger, he'd be fighting at Bantamweight. You know, these five-foot-six, five-foot-seven guys, it was all well and good at 45 a couple years back, but now you got to drop down to 35s, man. Uh it's just, it's just a new era of the sport, and I think that Calvin Cater, he's too long, he hits too hard, and more importantly, I think he's going to be picking him apart with that jab. I don't think the calf kicks are going to be a big factor, and eventually, when it's time to throw that right hand, that straight right, when it's time to step through with that right hand and make that commitment, it's probably going to be all she wrote, man. So I'm going to go with Calvin Cater via knockout with the straight right hand. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got Karolina, the Polish princess, Kolvakiewicz, she's 12-4, and four, and Alexa Grasso is 10-2. and two. Currently, they got Karolina Kolvakiewicz minus 115, and Alexa Grasso is minus 105. So, 
Shaq, I mean, both these ladies are very exciting. They both come to fight every single time. They both like to keep the fight standing. So my question is, you going with the Polish princess or uh, the Mexican princess? It's going to be a good fight. I think before Carolina's last fight against Watterson, you know, I gave everyone the heads up. Look, if you're still considering her to be clear-cut elite amongst the division, you're deeply mistaken. And that's, uh, that was the case. You know, she is not anymore clear-cut top five. She's She's, she used to be number one, two, now she's like seven, eight, nine-ish, you know what I'm saying? So it's definitely a decline. Grasso, this is the biggest opportunity of, of her career. Coming off that fight against Tati, in which she, you know, <laughs> Tati uh, took care of her really quickly. And, uh, you know, she really didn't even get a chance to fight, man. So I know she's coming with a lot to prove. Very hungry, I mean. After a fight like that, you've been out for a year. You were supposed to fight Hild and Marina. Then now you're getting this opportunity. I mean, uh, Alexa's probably feeling really good right now. Carolina, prior to her title fight with Joanna J- Young Jacek, we all knew her for, you know, just be- having that good spirit, uh, the footwork, the clinch, the knees, the elbows, and the clinch. Since the Joanna fight, I mean, it's kind of just been real hit or miss, man. You know, the, Cla- the Claudia fight, people uh, keep acting like it didn't happen, but she got tapped out in the first round. When's the last time Claudia looked good? And then, uh, then after that, man, she had that fight with uh, Jody Escobar, you know, which I would expect it to be a little more dominant. Um, more like, dominant than Angela Hill. <laughs> you know, I would expect, expect at least to be a 30-26 in there, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but there wasn't. And then uh, then she fought uh, Felice, and I see people giving her some, well, not really, because everyone and their mom's on Grasso this week. But that fight was more just so, like, two old ladies fighting, man. You got one stiff, and then you got one dancing sky high with their chin in the air. <laughs> And uh, they fought. Carolina slightly hit her more times. Uh, Carolina did a chicken dance in the third round, wobbled bad, which let me know right then and there that, okay, now that, you know, the, I've always thought she was a little chinny, but now that uh, the durability is probably dying down a little bit. And then the Watterson fight happens, and that was the worst she's looked in her career, in my opinion, you know. Uh, Carolina's been known the person known for uh, pushing the pace in the third round. And turns out that uh, the person I've called Matt Tapper and, uh, and a soccer mom is out here pushing the pace on Carolina. So things keep happening that used to not happen to her. So it's obvious she's on a decline. Look, as far as the betting, if you got Grasso at that plus 140, 130, it's definitely a good bet. That's definitely the side to be on, in my opinion. I feel like this fight is definitely either side. Even if best, worst versions show up, if the best version of Grasso shows up, I really can't feel like we can uh, give up. A full assessment on Grasso yet because she's only 26 years old. <laughs> she's coming off a year layoff, more than a year layoff. There's a chance she comes looking like a completely different fighter, man. She's hungry. She's young. As where Carolina, I feel like this is starting to feel like a burden to her. This is what what more? She, I know she ain't more motivated than uh, Grasso. I mean, how could she be more motivated than Grasso? She's already done all this shit, man. So I gotta go with Grasso. She's the younger, hungrier, better boxer in my opinion. Carolina's. She, I don't want to say she's abandoned that footwork, but I feel like that footwork isn't the same. I just feel like she she's standing a little more still. She's starting to get taken down now. Let's not forget about that Jessica Andrade KO loss because that's a loss that, you know, when it happens to girls, when it happens to a guy, you know, it's, you know, it's, you know, get back up in six months and we'll be back. But, you know, when it happens to girls, that's a, that's a big thing. And you kind of saw the effects of it in the Watterson fight. So, but I just see uh, Grasso being younger, beating her to the punch a little bit more. See Carolina lifting her chin a lot in this fight. I feel like Grasso's going to probably capitalize on the boxing exchanges and, and win a, a fairly close decision, you know, 29-28 on, one, on two. And 
30-27 on one. So I'm going to go with Grasso to get the biggest one of her career. Another tough one to call, man. I mean, I agree with Shaq that if you were able to get in on that plus 140, plus 130 on Alexa Grasso, that at the time that was probably where the value was at. But now that it's a pick em, um, might be a different story in, ter- in terms of just the line value because on Carolina's best day, a couple years back, she'd be minus 250 in the spot. But unfortunately, this isn't her best day. Unfortunately, she's coming off some very disappointing results. Even the wins prior to those losses were not her best performances. So we understand why why it's a pick at this point. So back when it was around plus 135, I was very interested in betting Alexa Grasso. But then when it was time to watch her last couple fights, it's like, oh, man, like she's still developing. And it would almost be like a guess in a sense to to wonder if she's on this level right now. Because I know one day she will be. It's just about are you there right now? Why has she been out for so long? The thing with Alexa Grasso is while she's fresh, she definitely has got those punches and bunches. She definitely throws. Like there was this one combo she hit on Heather Joe Clark. It was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like she looked like she was about to floor her. But then she kind of sat back the rest of the fight. It was like, Alexa, yeah, you're clearly winning. But like where was that first combination you threw, that blitz in that first round where you had her wobbling you had a rock like let's just get one more of those going so there is a bit of a pulling the trigger issue to an extent with alexa grasso from time to time but also her takedown defense is horrendous not that not that carolina is going to come out here looking for takedowns but i'm just saying it didn't take much for rana to get her down at all like at all like it was literally it's because when alexa throws her kicks she throws them really slow and she doesn't pull them back so you can just catch them take her down and uh if she's fresh, she might get up, but if she, if she ain't fresh, she ain't getting back up. So, man, there's a lot of holes in Alexa Grasso's game, and she comes from that camp with Irena Aldana. So I've seen huge improvements from Irena Aldana, and I want to believe that Alexa Grasso is making big improvements too. But the thing is, Irena Aldana is actually out here getting that cage time. She's actually out here putting in those rounds and fighting this competition and moving up the ladder, whereas Alexa has been out, and Alexa's underperformed all four UFC fights, I feel like. So even though this is a great spot on paper to pick Alexa and say that, you know, she's going to take over, you know, a declining fighter that's about to retire. In most cases, I do like the young, fresher fighter over the one that's contemplating retirement. I just think that Karolina Kovacavich is a better fighter than Alexa Grasso, plain and simple. So for that reason, I'm going to pick her to win the split decision. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Pedro Pedrinho Munoz. He's 18-3, and and Aljamain the Funkmaster Sterling is 17-3. and Currently, they got Pedro Munoz plus 105. Aljamain Sterling is minus 125. So it's a pick em with a slight lean on Aljamain Sterling. And I know I used to call this guy the Fraud Master, and I'm going to apologize to him because... Dude, these last few performances, the guy's been putting it together. Uh, it ain't a joke no more. It ain't something you laugh at anymore. Aljamain Sterling is the real deal now. Look at the guys he's been beating lately. Look at the performances. They've been shutouts. And Pedro Munoz is looking the best he's ever looked, too. Pedro's always been dangerous. He's always been a badass. But now he's on that win streak. Now he's putting on those championship-level performances. And uh, just beat a, a top-three guy in Cody Garbrandt in the first round. So I got to know, man, who you got, Sterling or Munoz? Yeah, you know, I'm looking forward to this fight just as much as any other fight, man. Aljo's been, can't even hate on the guy, man. Dude's been looking real fucking good out there. He's finally figuring out his style. He's finally, you know, executing in the spots that he's great at. And he's been, he's been whooping ass these last few fights. And Pedro, you know, uh, Pedro's just Pedro, man. He's a savage. He's a wild man. 
and uh, you know he doesn't give a fuck, man. He'll he'll take that initial beating to to prove his point, and that's uh, what he does. This fight's gonna be a great fight, man, because you know when you consider you know Pedro, you think you know black belt, you shoot in on this guy, game over. And Aljo, man, I ain't gonna, his, his jujitsu impresses me. You know, I don't want to say just as much, but it, it impresses me, man. Uh, Aljo, you know, I'm not gonna say he has a, a edge over uh, Pedro, but I do feel like he probably has the uh, wrestling advantage, just because. Uh, but most guys really don't even try to take Pedro down. I feel like this fight really is gonna come down to the distance, because you know, Aljamain seems the seems to do really well against the these shorter guys and you know Pedro is shorter than him I think he's got a, a similar reach advantage as he's had over John Stamen and all these guys and Jimmy and all these guys he's been fighting but I feel like Pedro is definitely wired a little bit differently than those three guys I mentioned like I said Pedro is willing to take the initial beating to prove his point uh this is a pick em fight in my opinion I think it's a 50-50 fight you know I feel like Aljamain's distance or is improved striking but just the way he's operating just the way he's composed in there these last three fights is, is very impressive and I feel like Pedro you know is gonna have to hunt him down and he's gonna have to not take any back steps because once you get that that taller longer guy moving forward against these short guys they they crumble and they don't know what to do and Pedro I mean he makes a, he makes a lot of mistakes in his boxing he makes a lot of mis uh, mistakes in his striking I mean <laughs> but he doesn't care you know and not saying that Aljamain's gonna gonna capitalize but Aljamain's length can create a lot of problems for example if you overextend trying to chase him down now he's hitting spins off your overextends he's shooting he's making you look a little more tired and he can eat and out his cardio his cardio is top notch man I'll give him credit but the, the way to beat Aljamain is you gotta push him back you can't take any back steps you just like Marlon Marais came out there planted his feet and committed like bro I'm gonna take you out and Pedro's gonna have to do the same thing I don't know if Pedro can necessarily take him out with uh one punch he's gonna have to uh just move forward move forward move forward and hopefully uh Aljamain breaks but uh I feel like Aljamain's going to fight smart, probably use his distance. I don't know if he's going to get any takedowns, man. This is why I'm having a hard a hard time with this fight, because who willingly takes Pedro down? But I also could see a, a sense of just how their bodies are, man. Aljo's big frame, Pedro, you know, respect him. But I could see a case where anytime he gets close to Aljo, that Aljo may, Aljamain might, over, just might overpower him and, uh I feel like he's got enough jujitsu to probably not necessarily cancel out Pedro's jujitsu, but just nullify him a little bit. Just get the, you know, tie him up, get him tired. Pedro's a live dog. I'm gonna go with Sterling by uh, by decision, but I, I I do think Pedro's a live dog. But uh, I got a lot of respect for both guys. It's a tough fight for me, you know. I could see it going either way. It's gonna be one hell of a matchup. Uh, what's interesting is that. Aljamain Sterling, I mean, he's been making these huge improvements. And I think the biggest improvement that he's been making is just his composure and his confidence inside that cage. Because he always had the physical tools and, you know, he would try to do the long striking. When he gets on top of these guys, he's super heavy, he's funky, he's unorthodox. But now that he's feeling more confident out there to let it go, we're really seeing a top contender. Because before, I thought it was this big joke. You know, I thought it was kind of like Elias with a ground game and... It's, uh, it's a lot better than that, Shaq. It's way beyond that. He's definitely a top five guy. He's definitely proven himself. I've definitely been wrong about him in the past. But that being said, when you look at these past fights with guys like Brett Johns, who, by the way, Pedro also destroyed, and it should have been a first-round stoppage, but, you know, Blake Grice was uh, 
<laughs> Blake, Blake Grice was trying to see a man die, you know what I mean? But uh, when you see those fights like that one or even the Cody Stamen fight, I don't know why Cody Stamen's gassing out after that first round. Maybe it's because uh, Al Jermaine is just that pressure, that pace. Maybe that's what it was, you know what I mean? But Pedro Munoz is not a guy who's just going to you know, gas out and hand the fight over to you. To beat Pedro Munoz, you have to beat Pedro Munoz legit, legitimately. Except for the John Dodson fight, which was total bullshit. We all know Pedro won that fight. That was a complete robbery. But aside from that bullshit, you got to really beat Pedro to beat him. And what's interesting about this fight is that when Aljo is on the offensive and he's pushing the pace, that's when he does his best. It's when he's getting backed up that you can have some success against him. And interestingly enough, Pedro Munoz is the kind of guy to go forward the entire time. He's got a great calf kick game. So start to get off on some of these calf kicks. That's when guys start to act a bit uncharacteristic. Just ask my boy Cody Garbranch. But in this fight here with, with Sterling, so when Sterling fought Rivera... Interestingly enough, Rivera was actually able to keep it standing the whole time. Rivera stuffed every takedown, but Rivera was so flustered on the feet that he didn't have the confidence to say fuck it, close that distance, take a chance, and, and try to put the guy out. I, you know, maybe maybe the Marlon Marais KO. Maybe he hasn't been the same since then. Whereas Pedro Munoz is willing to eat every shot until he uh, until he lands the big one of his own, and that's going to be the difference here. So. There are there is a chance that Aljamain can rock Pedro Munoz just because he's been he's been getting more confident with his long strikes and I don't care who you are you eat a shin bone to the chin you eat an elbow to the chin and you're going to get rocked most likely but if that doesn't happen and Pedro is able to close that distance I think his hands are a lot better than Aljamain Sterling's I think he can cause a little bit of panic in Sterling just by overwhelming him with that pressure and that chaos that Pedro brings to the table eventually make him shoot a sloppy shot and uh, you know how good Pedro Munoz's guillotine choke is. That's world class. Even if he doesn't get that transition to get on top, win the round that way. So I'm going I'm to go with Pedro Munoz for the upset here. And uh, I can't wait to see what happens. But my pick is Pedro Munoz. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got Tatiana Suarez. She's 7-0. and And Nina Ansaroff is 10-5. and Currently, they got... Tatiana Suarez, minus 850. The comeback on Nina Ansaroff is plus 575. Well, Shaq, uh, Nina Ansaroff surprised a lot of people by making it to the top five. Uh, no one ever expected that. You know, a girl that was losing to Justin Keish. And who, who's the other one she lost to? She lost two fights off the bat. Justin Keish and someone else. Uh, Juliana Lima. Oh, yeah, Juliana Lima. You lose those two fights off the bat. We all thought it was this big joke. Ever since then, she uh, crawled her way into that top five. Now she's got a number one contendership fight against Tatiana Suarez. Will the uh, underdog story continue here, Shaq? Yeah, you know, Suarez is probably going to, you know, do her thing here and probably get the takedowns. Uh, it's just going to be interesting to see that big favorite feel in this fight, you know. But she does pretty good when she's a big favorite. She still gets her uh, first-round finishes and her, you know, dom uh, dominates. Angela brings a different look. She's a good kickboxer, so we'll, we'll see what happens on the feet. But Nina will probably be – I mean, uh, Tatiana will probably be the aggressor and get a decision win here. Yeah, I mean, look, for Tatiana to lose this fight, she has to pull a massive stunt. She has to come out here and decide, hey, I want to test my stand-up against Nina Ansaroff. That happens, and the calf kicks are going to start to add up. The boxing isn't even near the same level. And if Tatiana really feels like she's made these huge improvements in her striking, she wants to test that here, that's the path to victory for Nina Ansaroff. That being said... That's not what's going to happen here. Tatiana knows her bread and butter. Tatiana goes for takedowns every single fight. And, uh, you know, after a couple of years back, I was under the impression that, oh, you know, she's 
she's one dimensional, this and that. But then you realize it's women's MMA. You can be one dimensional out here and, and still go out there and win these fights. And that's exactly what's been happening, man. And in this spot, I see as soon as it hits the mat, not that necessarily it'll be over shortly after, but that round will be over, Shaq. And eventually she's going to start adding up that damage and. It's just not going to be a very good night for Nina Andros. So while I hope that Nina goes out there and gets this upset, maybe Tati wants to test out uh, her striking. At the end of the day, my man, I got to go with Tatiana Suarez and most likely via domination here. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got Tai Tuivasa. He's 10-1 and and Blagoy Ivanov is 17-2. and Currently, they got Tai Tuivasa minus 130. The comeback on Blagoy Ivanov is plus 110. Well, Shaq, uh, two heavyweights going to battle here. Obviously, we know Taito Ivasa got that Mark Hunt style. Blagoy Ivanov loves to sit back and counter. How do you see, how do you see these two uh, matching up? Yeah, this is going to be a good fight. Um, it's actually what I like to call a positioning fight because uh, kind of similar to uh, Usman and Woodley. You know, you got one guy that backs himself, backs himself up, and you got a guy that moves forward the entire time. So, Blagoy... Moving back. He likes to move backwards, but his uh, boxing moving backwards is really good, man. Uh, seems like he likes to throw the same combo over and over, but when you're good with that combo, man, uh, you know, he do, he, uh, that's what he does. And he's got that, uh, he doesn't really talk much. You know, he's got that uh, beat Fedor and Sambo back in the day. You know, Blagoy's a real fighter, man, a top 15 fighter. And Tuivasa, I've kind of, I don't want to say giving him a hard time, but just going into the JDS fight, I just thought that in that particular spot, he was going to get exposed just because, I mean, when you look at his prior fights, he had the fight with Orlowski, which was very sloppy. But, you know, for whatever reason, these guys like to fight close with Andre. And, uh, you know, he was bloodied up badly in the fight, but he just was really sloppy. I feel like he could have picked his shots a lot better. As you can see, his, his face was uh, covered in blood. And uh, his fights before that were just uh, against Coulter, Asker. Yeah, Coulter. Don't forget about Peter Graham did do him. By the way, if I've never seen that, Peter Graham made his ass quit, <laughs> like straight up. For, for whatever <laughs> reason, it ain't on his record, though. <laughs> really, he's really 10-2, and two, but... Uh, for whatever reason, the Australian Commission, uh, they, they hit the loss. But, yeah, you know, I feel like if Tui Vasa can move forward and avoid them counter shots from Blagoy, then he's probably going to win a decision here. You know, one of Blagoy's weaknesses is activity. Sometimes he can lull you to sleep uh, just by when you watch his fights because a lot of them are just really, you need more activity, you know what I'm saying? But when you got a guy that literally walks forward the way Tui Vasa does, it could play in right into Ivanov's hand. So I see why... The big action came in on him because he's a good counterboxer. In terms of the value, though, I feel like the value is still probably on Blagoy. I'm still not too high on Tuivasa, but the fact that everyone is on Blagoy worries me a little bit. But uh, I'm, I'm gonna take Blagoy by a lackluster decision. You know, I feel like he's gonna it's gonna be a close fight. If they know Blagoy's complete history, they should have probably put him on the prelims. But probably gonna scrape out a decision. But I can see it going Tuivasa's way. I feel like he he does move forward, and if he doesn't get caught then uh, he's, he's probably going to win a decision here. But the fact that he does move forward, he'll probably run into something. Look, minority opinion, but I actually thought Blagoy Ivanov beat Ben Rothwell. Yeah, I thought he won that fight two rounds to one. Like, I realize people might not know that you Just can... because he's moving backwards doesn't mean like he's losing. Like, you know you can move backwards and, and win a fight, right? Like, it's called countering. But, uh, just counter. I just want to teach you guys what countering just is. Like when but... got robbed. Um, no, just because Dwight moved backwards doesn't mean he's losing. That's what he does. Right. I mean, that's how he fights, man. You know what I mean? 
the difference here is that Tuivasa is going to have more output than Ben Rothwell had, and that was a close fight in itself. It just came down to Blagoy landing the better counters, whereas in this spot, Tuivasa's got that Mark Hunt game on the feet down, you know, launching with that left hook, really good push up, push off from the tie-ups, not very good ground game. <laughs> yeah, sucks. Uh, I mean, it's just like he Mark's going for that fucking lateral drop, and he keeps going to his back. Oh, my God. Ends up <laughs> off his back on lateral <laughs> drop attempts. I mean, listen, my boy uh, Ivanov's got some serious grappling credentials. I know he hasn't shown it yet, but he's a Samba world champion. If he wants to come take this to the mat and the fight will be over shortly after. That could be a case, but Blagoy likes to, you know, he's got a lot of pride. He wants to stand and bang with everyone he fights, and if that's the case here, I think Tuivasa is actually going to win just off the output. But if Blagoy wants to turn the tables and do something we haven't seen him do in many, many years and take this to the mat, he actually has an easy path to victory here. It's just about does he want to do that, and based on what I've seen, it doesn't seem like he does, so for that reason, I'm going to go with Taito Ivasa here for the victory. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Jimmy Elterra Rivera. He's 22-3, and and Piotr Yan, no mercy, is 12-1. and Currently, they got Piotr Yan minus 335. The comeback on Jimmy Rivera is plus 275. Well, Shaq, we've never seen odds like this ever on Jimmy Rivera throughout his entire career. And I know he's fallen on some tough times. But my question here is, are you willing to give him, are you willing to put in a little faith on Jimmy Rivera to take these plus two seventy five odds or you think Piotr rolls? Petter, he's a great pressure fighter, moves forward. With his style, he is going to take a lot of shots, and at some point, he's going to take a KO loss. It almost happened his last fight against John Dotson. You know, John caught him with that, dropped him a couple times, actually, uh, <laughs> maybe even three times. Two of them, the uh, commentators didn't realize, but uh, Peter's going to move forward, kind of a, another positioning fight. Jimmy, in his last fight, backed himself into the fence against Aljamain. I'm a guess due to just his length and the way he came out in his corner. Jimmy said... He threw me off. He, he kind of rushed me. You know, I wasn't expecting that, and he couldn't. He couldn't recover mentally. And I, I've been noticing that's a a reoccurring theme for Jimmy lately. You know, ever since look, ever since he had that big beef with Marlon Marais after they trained a couple times, and allegedly he was telling people he knocked Marlon out, and and they addressed him about it, and then he's getting into fights with Lee, and his wife and Ali are going at it backstage. I feel like Jimmy kind of lost sight of what got him into the into that position. Jimmy's issues more came from, uh, well, I'll get to the issues in his fights, but I don't want to say his head got a little big, but his head got a little big. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, hey, when you're 21 and one, and you're about to fight Cruz for the number one contender, everyone says you're the uncrowned champ. <laughs> and all this shit, and everyone's calling you a future champ, and you're posting videos of beating TJ's ass when you're when you're sparring. You know, heads get a little big, but going into that Marais fight, Jimmy got broken. He got broken in a way before that fight where, you know, the the victory was a formality, you know. Um, and then he comes back against Aljamain or against John Dotson. You want to say that he looked like shit because Dotson is a hard guy to... Dotson just... Dotson's going to go downhill, but it's always going to be a tough fight because you got to respect, you know, his uh, his power. You got to respect his left style. hand. And it, it, it's going to be a tough fight no matter what. So I, I actually thought he... After I rewatched it, I actually thought he looked pretty good. But then, you know, the fight with Aljamain, another fight where Jimmy... Control control your girl, you know? So going into the, into the Aljo fight, look, another case with the Mar uh, another situation like Marlon in a sense... You know, you're running your mouth. Him and Aljo Ben had beef for years. You're, you're running your mouth. Then your girl starts calling, calling him a bitch. Like, now now they're putting that pressure on you to go in there and go beat him. You know what I'm saying? So now you're fighting with that pressure. And in this game, 
pressure in this game is a big, big fucking thing. Just like you saw last week with Gustafsson finding his hometown. Pressure is so big in this game that sometimes it doesn't even matter who's the better fighter. It's a matter of what spot they're on in this career, who's feeling it, who's not. Jimmy was feeling it going into that Aljo fight. You could just see it all over his face. And then, uh, so now he's fighting Peter Yan, arguably, you know, one of the top prospects at Bantamweight. Peter Yan, we know he's going to come forward. We know he's well-rounded. We know uh, he can wrestle. He's got good kicks. And he's just a savage, man. He's going to move forward. So I feel like Peter's probably going to do his thing here. He's probably going to be the aggressive. You better watch out for them left, uh, them left and right hooks because Peter likes to shell up. And, you know, if one of them hooks get around around his ears, he might wobble. But I think he'll avoid that KO. Peter, Peter, I'll say this about Peter, man. I, I think he's got a, a bright future ahead of him. But with that style, eventually it's going to come back to backfire. And another thing is Peter... Peter and a, a couple other guys on this card need to have their uh, their head on straight. They they've been they've been focusing on too much other shit besides their opponents, and uh, he better he better be focused because at the end of the day, although I think Jimmy Rivera is on on a decline, possibly on his way out, he's still the number six guy in the world. You know he's still twenty two and three. You gotta respect that. Peter, you know he, he did say he was gonna he was gonna beat Jimmy rather easily, but he, he's been getting into some other shit. Not just with Pedro, but just in general for the last few weeks, he's been he's been I don't want to say unfocused, but he, I don't think it's going to matter. But uh, just keep your head on straight, Peter. But I think he'll get this one. Man, if only Jimmy Rivera let me manage his career because uh, I don't know if you all recall, he was supposed to fight Dominic Cruz. And Cruz did what Cruz does. He pulled out the fight, which he is known for. And at that point, Jimmy should have just sat out and waited for either Cruz to come back or maybe we get the next title shot, or this or that, but instead, uh, he elects to fight Marlon Marais, which uh, his coach told him not to do, his family told him not to, everyone was like, Jimmy, do not take this fight. fight. Lineker, but then Lineker pulled. And Lineker, Lineker, Lineker would have uh, knocked him into the 10th <laughs> row, by the way, but uh, listen, he should have waited around for that Cruz fight. Instead, uh, he took the Marlon Marais fight, which his coaches told him not to take, and if you know about Tiger Schulman, anytime Jimmy loses a fight, Tiger's like, he, he didn't listen to me. The kid thinks he knows everything. And uh, if Jimmy takes an L here, I guarantee you're going to hear Tiger Shulman talking about how, you know, the, he, he didn't li Jimmy didn't listen. I don't know why he doesn't listen to me. You know what I mean? Uh, but, uh, look, all bullshit aside, Jimmy should have waited for that Dom Cruz fight or possibly a title shot. Instead, he took the Marlon Marais fight, got knocked out in 30 seconds, and just hasn't been the same ever since. I know that Dodson fight was a pretty solid performance, but... I just don't see that same fire, intensity, drive, and will that I used to see, that confidence that I used to see from Jimmy Rivera because I was one of the people singing his praises. I was one of the people saying, this guy, at the very least, is a future UFC title challenger. I really believe that, and now I don't think so anymore, man. I feel like a lot's changed, and he just had a certain, like I said, a certain confidence and intensity about him a couple years back. It just seemed like no one's going to beat this guy, but shit that hasn't been the case at all obviously marias the dodson fight wasn't the best and then the Algerman sterling fight that was very embarrassing what about that, the thomas almeida fight the thomas almeida the fight last, where, uh, where second to last one you mean the one where thomas low-key won 29 that one <laughs> the, the one where uh thomas dropped him in the second that one i mean look the Tomas Almeida fight, he still had his confidence, but there were some signs that, you know, his chin, this and that. Like, it, it was closer than it should have been. By the way, can someone explain to me why Tomas Almeida is still ranked in the top 15? Real quick, can we talk about who Tomas Almeida has beat in the UFC? He beat Tim Gorman, Albert Morales, Brad Pickett, and uh, is that it? 
or is it, is it, and Eves Jabuen. And you're gonna tell me this guy is a top fifteen guy? Look, I love Tomas, super exciting guy, but no guy whose last win was against Albert Morales back in you know back <laughs> back when you were in your daddy's ball sack should be ranked in that top fifteen. So I love Tomas, he's exciting, but come on, guys, like, get him out the top fifteen. It's a complete joke. But ever since that Tomas Almeida fight, Jimmy Rivera has not been the same. The Aljamain Sterling fight, that just added insult to injury because if you guys know about the beef that those two have had since back in the local scene, they've been wanting to fight for years. A couple years ago, I think Jimmy would have easily won that fight, but man, it was not just the fact that he lost, it was how he lost. Very alarming to see a guy like Jimmy Rivera just accept a loss like that. That tells me that he doesn't have the same mindset that he once did, man, back when he thought he was going to be a champion, back when I thought he was going to be a champion. And one thing about P.O. Torian. You know, you can talk about his defense and this and that. And, I mean, yeah, well, look, when when you stand toe-to-toe with every single guy you fight, of course you're going to eat some shots. You know, he's not like John Dawson who runs away from everyone he fights. He's not like Elias Theodora who avoids the fight every single time. Piotr Yan is going to get in your face. And uh, most likely you're going to fall or he's just going to accumulate that, that volume for three straight rounds. But one of these days, uh, Piotr is going to fall. And Jimmy does throw some big bombs. But the thing is that... I think Piotr is going to be able to maneuver around it, walk him down, and eventually he's going to start teeing off with some big four or five strike combos. And it's going to be interesting to see how Jimmy reacts. I'm not convinced that there's a finish here, but I definitely think if it hits the scorecards that Piotr Yan gets the win. As far as from the betting perspective goes, I mean, it, it is a dogger pass situation, man, because you've never seen plus 275, plus 300 type odds next to a guy like Jimmy Rivera. But I would recommend passing because my pick here is P.O. Torian. Co-main event of the evening. The real co-main event. Tony Elkukui Ferguson, he's 24-3, and and Donald Cowboy Cerrone is 36-11. and Currently, they got Tony Elkukui Ferguson in minus 140. The comeback on Donald Cowboy Cerrone is plus 120. Shaq, I'm just surprised we haven't seen this fight happen yet, man. I mean, two staples of the lightweight division, two perennial top five guys. I mean, top three, if we're being honest. Two guys that could both be champion on the given night. The question is, uh, who walks one step closer to that fight with uh, the winner of Khabib and Dustin? Well, they kicked Cerrone out of lightweight for a few years and made him go fight 70s after Dos Anjos. And uh, now he's back and he's, he's been doing his thing. Um, definitely no one on the level of a Tony Ferguson. But Cowboy, you know he's got that experience, the most wins, most finishes, most bonuses. Cowboy is almost like uh, what I like to call red hot right now. As in red hot, you know, like when you watch football or, or, or baseball, you know, there's that one playoff team that kind of barely got in there, but they're super hot right now. And it's like, uh, we, we don't want to play them. And then uh, <laughs> they go on this run. And, uh, you know, I feel like Cerrone's kind of... Kind of similar to that right now. He's uh, like an NFL blitz when exactly, the guy gets exactly. the heat. It's like that he's hot right now. Like, <laughs> fucking, he, he feels invincible right now. And uh, Ferguson, you know, we haven't seen him for a while. Was that some Pettis? What what yeah, card was that? November two thousand. Oh, the Connor, uh, the Connor Khabib card. But uh, man, Ferguson at lightweight, you know, his, his accomplishment accomplishments definitely in his performances definitely trump Cerrone's. I mean, you know, he's got the wins over uh, Rafael Dos Anjos. Fucked up Josh Thompson. I, I watched that the other day. That was a brutal ass whooping. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, Kevin Lee fight. Um, Edson, you know, he, he's got some great performances. Um, and, you know, Cerrone, I mean, you know, we bet him as a dog against uh, Hernandez. 
Then he bounced back with a, another win over Aya Kento, who at the time, you know, he, he was surging pretty good. He was number four in the world, and Cerrone uh, left him in a pool of blood, literally. <laughs> Which Tony does on the reg, so fucking, uh, this is going to be a great fight. You know, we know Tony Ferguson's style. We know he's going to walk forward, put pressure on you, and he's real funky and awkward. But we know his flaw is flaw is he's going to get knocked the fuck out one day. Um, but it's really, that's probably his only flaw, I will say that uh it seems like since the kevin lee and pettis are his last two, yeah i'll just say he's getting a little older you know i, I don't i don't i i see progress what i'm trying to say is progressively i can see signs that his body is gonna fail him not him but his body is gonna fail him as in i don't feel like that legs as strong as it once was you know i don't feel like uh it's kevin lee fight you know in that fight Tony gets dropped all the time, so I'm not gonna make it a, a, a big deal. He gets he's been dropped in like his, the only fight he didn't get dropped in was the Thompson fight. Um and the RDA fight. Around the Kevin Lee fight time is the performance wasn't as good as the prior ones. And when I say that is because he did get dropped by Kevin Lee, I feel like his pressure wasn't as overwhelming as it was in the other fights. And, uh, you know, when he fought Anthony Pettis, another thing is, when you fight Tony, man, you gotta have composure. And the only guys that are gonna beat him are the top three, four in the sport. And I'm talking the Khabibs, the... I'm not saying those guys for sure beat him. I'm just saying the guys that even have a chance at beating him. The Khabibs, the Poyes, the... the uh, maybe a Cerrone and uh, a Gaethje. You know, you need a, a, a equal savage, a, a guy willing to take the shots and, and answer back and defend themselves. And, you know, one thing I notice is these guys keep lose, using these short-term weapons when they fight uh, Ferguson. For example, Pettis, he's in there throwing cartwheel kicks. He's in there fucking, like, bro, you're in a fight with T-Ferg, bro. This shit is gonna go deep, and it's gonna be bloody. Like, you better be here for the for the full, for the full time, at least prepared to be in here for the full time. Of course, you plan on catching, catching him in one of his, uh, plan on catching him with his chin sky high event but you gotta have you gotta go in there with the mindset this is gonna be brutal this is gonna be a war i'm gonna stay in here for the 15 and i feel like with Cerrone's experience you know he, you could kind of put him up for that type of task but tony's volume is so so high that i really don't see him losing a decision like i said the only way tony's probably gonna lose is by you know getting finished for once and i like i said i do progressively see signs that possibly his body is gonna start failing failing on him in the uh in the future now Cerrone on the other hand Cerrone's well-rounded as it gets man the guy can wrestle he's got great jujitsu he can strike and he does have long-term weapons as in when this fight gets bloody and both guys both hurt both have been dropped you can't be going to cartwheel kicks you can't be trying to wrestle like Kevin Lee you know what I'm saying especially against a guy like Tony Ferguson who's got darces and triangles and shit like that you got to be able to stay in there, throw that jab, throw the two, throw the basic shit, and I and I and I guarantee you that's what's gonna uh, be the way be the way to defeat him. I feel like Cowboy is definitely capable of that. It's just, uh, man, it's tough to say because Tony's volume is so high. But I also feel like when we take, uh, you know, when I take out their skills, look at the spot both guys are in right now. Like I said earlier, Cerrone's that fucking playoff team that just that just squeaked in and uh, they feel unstoppable and they're about to make a run to the Super Bowl. He's, Cerrone's like the fucking Giants a few years back when Eli and them won, you know what I'm saying? Um, and then you got Ferguson who, you know, all-time great. How many fights does he want in a row? 13? 14? 13. 13. Um, he's won 13 fights in a row. Hasn't he's been out for a while. He was coming off a layoff prior. He's, uh, he's got a lot of pressure on him in this fight and... 
I'm not gonna say, you know, I love his uh, psychotic rants, but the psychotic rant I heard from him the other day was a little more <laughs> bizarre than usual. And I feel like he's got a lot of pressure on him in this spot. But, uh, you know, from a betting perspective, this is a definition of a pass fight, man, because although, yeah, Ferguson, you, you want to rely on him, he wins pretty much all his fights. Like I said, man, that pressure is something else, and I and I do sense that he's feeling a little bit of pressure, just more than usual. And uh, Cowboy, like I said, Cowboy, I feel like he's feeling real loose, and he's feeling real comfortable. Will he feel comfortable when he's in that cage? We'll see. But, you know, I feel like when you get a, a vet with that much experience, the way he's feeling right now, his skill set, you know, it could be very dangerous to bet, bet on... Uh, Shock, no matter how invincible you feel Ferguson is. I'm going to pick Ferguson by decision, actually, but I don't think he's... I mean, I'm, he could definitely finish Cabo, but I just think that it's going to be an all-time great fight. I just think his volume is probably going to get him the win here if it goes to the cards. I feel like both men are going to be bloody, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if Cerrone pulled off this upset. We know T. Ferguson's game has a lot of holes in his striking, just in his striking. just has a lot of holes in his strikings, but you got to be able to up the pace. you got to be able to stay in there. I feel like Cowboys got all the skills to do it, but uh, we'll see. You know, I, I feel like this is like a, a 51-49% type of fight. You know, slight lean of T-Ferg, but uh, we'll see what happens. I feel like a lot of people are acting way too surprised by how Cowboy easily handed or handled Alex Hernandez and Ally Kinta. Like, guys, these are these are opponents that he would have easily crushed throughout his entire career. Cerrone's been making a career out of beating guys ranked around that level the whole time, man. Like, this is nothing new the way he smashed Ayakinta and Alex Hernandez. Like, do you guys not remember the Rick Story fight? Like, let's go back, even the Dennis Seaver fight. I'm just saying, along the years, that's why I'm bringing up guys like Dennis Seaver, because this is nothing new for Cowboy Cerrone to absolutely dismantle someone that's not a top five guy. Like, when has he not smoked someone that's not a top five guy? And I know someone's going to bring up some of his fights at 170 pounds, but listen, Leon might not be ranked top five officially, but Leon's a top five guy. Like, come on. Robbie Lawler, former champion. Look, the, the bottom line here is that anytime Cerrone fights someone that's not in the top five, he absolutely smokes them. And this has been the case since the WEC. So to me, the way he handled Ayakinta and Hernandez, I bet on him against uh, Hernandez at plus... Uh, 170 odds like that was complete disrespect people are acting like this fraud who just beat oam was going to come out here and beat cerrone I, I don't i don't think so so you know he did his thing there but this ain't no alex hernandez or ally akinta or yancey Medeiros or mike perry anymore this is tony el kukui ferguson now we're talking about a top three guy and historically speaking this is where donald has always struggled throughout his career because, yes, he does have that win over Eddie Alvarez, but at the time, Eddie Alvarez wasn't in the top five. At the time, uh, you know what I mean? He was coming off a Mike Chandler win. Like, I love Eddie Alvarez, legend of the sport, but what I'm trying to say here is that Donald Cowboy Cerrone doesn't often beat guys who are in the top three at the time that he beats them. They might go on to be top three guys, but... If you if he beats Tony, this would be this would be the first time he's beat an active top three guy. So that would be an incredible feat. But the reason I got to go with Tony here is because you know the whole ranking angle, which really doesn't mean shit. Because all Donald has to do is come out here and win, and all of a sudden that that angle is complete bullshit. But he also possesses the style to beat Donald Cerrone, and that's that forward pressure consistently, not being worried or bothered about what Donald Cerrone throws at him. But there's one thing here, and Donald Cerrone is absolutely live for a knockout. And what I mean by that is Tony Ferguson gets hit hard every single fight, but his recoverability is hard. 
his intensity, his tenacity is just too much that he doesn't get finished oftentimes. But you eat a clean shin-to-chin, a nice high kick, a head kick from Donald Cowboy Cerrone, it doesn't matter how tough you are. Chances are you're going to be out cold twitching on the canvas, and they're going to have to bring in the smelling salts. So if that happens, that's Donald Cowboy's path to victory there. You got a head kick, knock this guy out, put him out cold. Don't give him a chance. I don't see Donald picking him apart for three straight rounds because I don't see Tony giving him the space to do so. I think Tony's going to be right in his face, throwing those mean elbows, mixing it up to the body. And as long as Tony stays conscious, I think he comes out here and wins this fight via TKO. So I'm going to go with Tony Elkukui Ferguson and Donald Cowboy will bounce back, man. Next fight, Put him in there with uh, another, you know, a top, uh, you know, someone ranked between 5 and 15. And, and Donald will go out there and absolutely smoke them. You know the deal by now. That's always been the drill with Cowboy Cerrone. Let's see Cowboy versus uh, Conor McGregor after this. You know what I mean? Take him down one time. The fight will be over shortly after. But here against Tony Ferguson, I think the pressure, the output, the pace, the meanness of Tony Ferguson will be too much. But, uh... Cowboy is live for a head kick knockout, but if that doesn't happen, Tony's winning this fight. Now is the official co-main event of the evening. In the women's flyweight division, we got Valentina Shevchenko. She's 16-3, and and Jessica I is 14-6. and Currently, they got Valentina Shevchenko minus 1,300. The comeback on Jessica I is plus 850. Well, Shaq, uh... About a year ago, if you would have told me that Jessica I was going to get a UFC title shot, I would have laughed in your face. Well, now she is getting that UFC title shot, but she's plus 850. So the deal here is I know what kind of better you are. I know you're not about to lay that minus 1300 straight on Valentina. So my question is, are you going to take a half unit or one unit shot on these plus 850 odds on Jessica I? No, no. I'm going to just keep this short and sweet, you know. Valentina's gonna, she's gonna do her thing here, whether she fights safe or she's gonna fight safe. But you know, I, she's a, she's a tough girl, and I and I respect her for building herself back up, not quitting, not uh, packing it in when she definitely could have. And uh, I, she's got all my respect. That win over Chuk was a legitimate win. The win over uh, Rose Clark was a legitimate win when she was an underdog. So uh, I respect, I respect this guy. I, you know, I feel like Valentina's just better in every aspect of the game, and uh, should get the win here. Yeah, you know, interestingly enough, when the fight was matched up and I saw the odds, and, you know, obviously you got to favor Valentina, but I was kind of like, well, we've seen Valentina get taken down before. Jessica has been mixing in takedowns. Maybe maybe it's worth that shot. But then you actually sit down and watch some of their last fights, and even that last one against Jukadian, which was a legit win for Jessica I, but she still, man, she leaves her chin straight up in the air. And against, you know, someone like Jukadian who just strikes, uh, you know, who likes to make sounds and run away, they might not be able to capitalize, but someone like Valentina, who's very, very precise, who, you know, former Muay Thai world champion, she will be able to capitalize on that. So on the feet, Valentina, big edge. And then, okay, so what about the wrestling of uh, of uh, Jessica? I, I honestly don't think her wrestling is going to be a big factor here either. I think that if she tries to get this to the match, she might get it down once, but... The further the fight goes along, I think that Valentina's going to get that timing. Might even be able to reverse and get on top herself. So I actually don't see many paths to victory for Jessica I here. From a betting perspective, yeah, I mean, any square can go parlay a minus 1,300. That takes zero skill whatsoever. So, you know, it might, I mean, it also takes zero skill to see a plus 850 and throw one unit on it too. So, But I, I think it's a dog or pass situation, man, because even though Valentina's going to win, you're about to lay... 
a 13 to win one? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think so, right? I mean, if you're sharp, you're not. So, Dogger pass, but I would recommend passing because Valentina is going to roll here. Main event of the evening for the Bantamweight title. We got the undisputed flyweight champion and gold medalist Olympian Shaq, Henry Cejudo. He's 14-2. and two, And the number one contender at Bantamweight, Magic Marlon Moraes, is 22-5. and five. Currently, they got Magic Marlon Moraes, minus 135. The comeback on the Olympic gold medalist, Henry Cejudo, is plus 115. Well, Shaq, uh, did, I, did I mention uh, he's an Olympic gold medalist? Olympic gold medalist at the age of 21, the guy to beat DJ and the guy to beat TJ. So, <laughs> But yeah, this is going to be a great fight. Marlon Marais, I mean, ain't much bad to say about this guy. This guy, his counters are on point. He's very accurate. He's big. Uh, I mean, the guy's the, the definition of, of a brutal Muay Thai striker. And, uh, you know, we got uh, Henry Cejudo, on the other hand, who's been out here dethroning all-time greats. And it's going to be a good fight. You know, we got Henry... As the underdog to Marlon is, you know, it's understandable. Marlon, he's been going out here and just running through guys in the uh, first round. Where where I see Marlon a little more vulnerable is, although I said he was very accurate, his counters are super on point. I'm not going to discredit his wins. Those are those are great wins to stop Jimmy uh, Rivera in that fashion in uh, 21 seconds, something like that. But like I said, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy Rivera was broken. Before that fight, Aljamain Sterling to knock him out in that fashion was very impressive. And then, uh, you know, his wins over in a sun to guillotine him in the first round, super impressive. In these type of fights, I always, you know, definitely got to pay attention to the skills. Marlon, I give Marlon a power edge, uh, give him a probably an overall striking edge, just punches, kicks, knees, elbows. Probably the overall edge. One edge I give Henry, not a big edge, but a, a, a decent side edge is speed. Even though he's coming up to 135, he's going to have extra 10 pounds. Those dudes at Neuroforce 1 are going to put it on in the in the proper way. And I feel like he can definitely beat Marlon to the punch. You know, I've seen Marlon, like I said, very accurate with his counters. But he's been beaten to the punch before. You know, John Dotson, although he won that fight, John Dotson beat him to the punch and dropped him twice in that fight. And the first fight with the Sun Tso, Sun Tso beat him to the punch. That's why he was able to scrape out the win. Now he's made great adjustments since those fights. Smoked the guys in the in the first round. But, you know, after those first rounds, generally speaking, Marlon turns into more of a methodical Muay Thai striker. With good cardio, actually. He doesn't necessarily get, like, in that uh, big Brazilian state. You know, he's just a solid Muay Thai guy with sharp-ass counters, and Henry Cejudo, when you fight Henry, man, it's uh, it's just more than fighting an Olympic gold medalist, man, you're getting a guy that, on the outside looking in, you know, if I was just some uh, new fan, I'd be like, man, this guy's a dick, this guy's a fucking, Ollie, how much is he gonna talk about himself, you know what I'm saying, and that shit really gets under guys' skins, man, that shit gets under guys' skins a lot, and, you know, while I'm, while I'm gonna bring this up is, this is a title fight, this is, this is a fight where, a few months ago when, when uh, Henry was fighting TJ, Marlon was on the record to say Henry was a joke. He was on the record to say TJ was going to win this fight easily. He was on the record to say, you know, uh, Cejudo's a, a little man. And he might, he's got the chance to go out there and prove all those things right. But from my experience on title fight day, when you got to live up to those things, Henry, uh, I'm sure you guys saw earlier when he's coming out there with the with the magic act and, <laughs> and, the, snake, and the snake and the, and the, uh, and the rabbit. Put a rabbit out of his hat. I was dead. That shit, like... 
people under, you know, someone might think uh, he's a fucking joke. Like, the guy's an idiot. He's going to get his ass beat. And that might be the case 100%, but that shit gets under skins, man. And, you know, when you fight a little bit, a little out of character, sometimes you make a mistake, and that's one. That's the only uh, mistake a guy like Henry Cejudo needs, man, because he's that fast. He's that accurate with his punches. So, you know, I feel like how they match up, this fight's probably going to be done fairly quickly. I just don't see, you know, Henry being able to wrestle Marlon. His, his takedown defense is super on point. Guillotine game is super on point. I will give Henry the, the, the chin advantage on who's got the better chin. I feel like, you know, Marlon's been... Drop more times in the UFC. Who's been knocked out more recently? Henry Souza, right? Yeah. Yeah, but by knees, not by chin. One of them was the chin. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but you know, I feel like uh, Marlon Marais, he, he's he's prone to getting beat to the punch by lighter guys, by faster guys. That could that could be the case here. The emotion of this fight is a big factor. I feel like progressively you're gonna start to see Marlon get progressively ang angrier. That'll carry on into the fight. Henry will get another early stoppage victory. <laughs> But I you know I got great respect for Marlon Marais. I could definitely see him catching Henry with a counter. But uh, I feel like Henry, his speed is going to be a big factor. I feel like he can snipe Marais from the outside, get in, get out. But uh, it's going to be tough to say what happens if this fight gets extended because it's a it's a it's a tough read. You know, we got one guy who's going nonstop for five rounds with Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, a, a cardio king, a very light guy at 125, and they're going nonstop. So that that pace at uh, Flyweight is touring, man. To come up here and to do that on a bantamweight would be super impressive. Will it be done? Uh, we'll see. Man, this fight is so fucking good. And when I first saw that dog money on Henry Cejudo, I mean, it brought back uh, memories of when I cashed that plus 180 odds on Henry Cejudo against, uh, you know, that chinny fraud who had zero business at 125 pounds and later tested for EPO, TJ Dillashaw. TJ Dillashaw, a guy who... I mean, for years, Shaq and I have been saying, like, guys, like, there's something here that, you know what I mean? Like, I've always thought TJ Dillashaw was chinny. I've always thought he was a fraud. Well, it turns out the guy was on EPO this entire time. I mean, Cody Garbrandt knocked him out in the first round. All of a sudden, the guy recovers and is able to go go into the second and, uh, and you know, compete and win. It was like, dude, like, but Cody just won. Like, how is this guy getting knocked out cold? And then uh, all of a sudden, rises from the dead. Well, I'll tell you how. It was that EPO, so... You know, just the fact that TJ even got to the fight with Henry was ridiculous because uh, he should have been knocked out by Cody that first time. It was what it was. But then uh, then he makes that ridiculous cut to 125 pounds and finally fights Henry. And, I mean, what do you think was going to happen? You know what I mean? Henry ran through him like you're supposed to. Cash that plus 180 dog. Easy money. But uh, I'll tell you who was not a fraud. <laughs> I'll tell you who has zero business at 125. Look. If Marlon drops to 125 and wants to fight Henry, I'll go ahead and put the, the whole account on Henry. But here at 35, it's a completely different story. And I go into watching this tape on uh, Marlon Marais, and, you know, I watch his last three fights. And the first thing that pops through my mind is like, dude, like my gut is telling me, Daniel, you cannot bet real money against this guy because the guy is an absolute monster, man. Striking is so powerful. His jujitsu is on point. Not just that guillotine. What about that leg lock game? Uh, the guy is serious everywhere, but so is uh, Henry Cejudo. But the thing is, Henry Cejudo is a king from a lighter weight class. And, you know, I, I know he beat Fraud Metrius Johnson. I know he beat TJ Dillashaw. But, like, guys, I think that Marlon Marais is way better than both of those guys. And not saying that Henry can't win here, but I do edge Marlon Marais in this fight. I mean, 
As much as I love Henry Cejudo, I'm one of the guys that likes his personality. I think it's fucking hilarious how he has to remind everyone every five seconds that he's a gold medalist Olympian because it pisses people off, and that's kind of funny. So I, I like his personality. I like that he had the magic hat, pulls out the rabbit from the hat. Like The dude's fucking awesome. I like him a lot, but I just do feel like... You know, if five foot three fraud Metrius Johnson can knock you out, I, I do think that the hardest hitter in bantamweight history can also knock you out. So, what about the four bums that knocked Marais out? <laughs> what, in 2011 and 2008? Like, when was we got killed in 2008? That that's back when uh, Henry was pulling out of fights the day of. You know what I'm saying? Back in the LFA scene. So, listen, we lost to Demetrius Johnson. Fraud Demetrius Johnson. <laughs> you mean the guy with the most title defenses in UFC? Yeah, of course he has the most title defenses because he fought Tim Elliott, Chris Carriasso, Wilson Hayes, Ray Borg. Of course he's got the most title he defenses. He could have dropped the ball in one of those. Yeah, he didn't because he, he had fucking softball competition. You know what I'm saying? It was a complete joke. But uh, And that's why he's no longer in the UFC. I'm going to go with Marlon Marais here inside the distance. I think it's an incredible fight. I wouldn't go too big on either side just because, I mean, the athlete, the caliber athlete Henry is, not to mention the place he's training, Neuroforce Force One. I love the kind of shit they're doing with that reaction time, the athleticism, the way that him and Pitbull have been looking lately with that new karate coach. Too much shit for me to bet against Cejudo, but way too much for me to bet against Marais. The official pick is Marais, uh, and I can't wait to see what happens. Hey guys, Dan here. Just wanted to remind you that my bets and Shaq's bets are available at bestfightpicks.com. For this week at UFC 238, we're offering a buy one, get one free for any VIP package minus the year package. So you want to buy the one event VIP for 238, you're going to get Korean Zombie vs. Moikano for free. You want to buy the one month package, you get the next month free. This is for all the VIP packages, excluding the one year. Bestfightpicks.com. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC 238? My fight to watch is going to be Aljo versus Pedro Munoz. Both guys have been talking a lot. Both guys, probably a number one contender fight. So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm interested to see if uh, Pedro can get on the inside. And I'm interested to see how Aljo does on the mat. So that's my fight. Look, my fight to watch is Tony El Kukui Ferguson versus Donald Cowboy Cerrone. I mean, this isn't even a title fight, and it's the fight to watch. Uh, one of the best fights in lightweight history between two of the all-time greats at 155 pounds, two future UFC Hall of Famers, two total badasses, two guys that, you know, if you're not going to watch any other fight on this entire card, I'm telling my friends that casually watch a sport, tune in for El Kukui Ferguson versus Donald Cowboy Cerrone. That is your fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC 238? My fighter to watch is going to be one of the greatest combat athletes of all time. That's Henry Cejudo. He's got the opportunity to become a champ champ in this company. And if he becomes a champ champ on top of being an Olympic gold medal champ, he's hands down the greatest combat athlete of all time. Yeah, I cannot disagree with that. I mean, you're talking about a guy who already has the flyweight belt, already has that Olympic gold medal. He goes out there and wins another belt. I mean, triple champ, 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 champ. Like, that would be some serious shit. For me, my fighter to watch is Calvin Cater. This is a guy that ever since his UFC debut, I've been saying he could be a top five guy right now. I even took it a step further and said, you know, before his fight with Shane Burgos, that this guy would beat Cub Swanson and Ricardo Lamas today. Well, fast forward a year, and now not only is he fighting Ricardo Lamas, he's fighting him in his hometown of Chicago, Illinois, the Windy City, Chi-Town. So for that reason, Calvin Cater is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Saturday in the Windy City in Chi-Town, UFC 238, UFC Chicago. 
Henry Cejudo versus Marlon Moraes, Tony Ferguson versus Donald Cerrone, Valentina versus Jessica. They can follow you at MMA Genius 05. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. Our bets are available at bestfightpicks.com. Been doing really well this year, so make sure you tail us. We got that buy one, get one free for all VIP packages, excluding the year, at bestfightpicks.com. Hop on board today. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, and Spotify. Our Instagram, Best Fight Picks Official. Got a lot of big things in the works. We want to thank every single person that supports us. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.